Life is full of what ifs. Some awesome, like what if AI could fold your laundry? And some, well, less awesome, like what if you have unexpected medical costs? United Healthcare can help get you covered with Health Protector Guard fixed indemnity insurance plans. They supplement your primary plan to help you manage out of pocket costs. No deductibles, no enrollment periods, and especially no more what ifs. Visit uh1.com to find the Health Protector Guard plan for you. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The following podcast contains content about stalking and sexual harassment that may be triggering or unsuitable for some listeners. Discretion is advised. Previously on Unraveled, The Stalker's Web. He was brilliant. You have to understand, he brilliant beyond words. Law enforcement just didn't know what to do with him. I contacted the, the police, and of course, a sheriff came out and told me there was nothing he could do. He even started sending different threats while the officer was there. She just didn't know what to do. I just didn't feel like I had any recourse. It did feel endless. He moves from one place to another, masking his internet ID, saying, you can't stop me. This guy has been hiding behind a keyboard his entire life as he's been terrorizing all of these women, and he's been moving around the country. But this is one of the first times that we know where he is. I think every one of the victims that we've spoken to wants to know why. Why them and what made him do this for decades? What made him terrorize them for decades? We want to get those answers for them. There's someone in the window, Billy. What's that? Someone just came to the window. Really? Yeah. They know we're here. Hi. Hi, how you doing? We're looking for Jason Christopher Hughes. Yes we decided that we needed to speak to Jason Christopher Hughes. So we traveled 3,000 miles to ask him a simple question. Why? Before we reveal what happened, we want to tell you how we ended up here. At the end of our last episode, you learned that the FBI had zeroed in on a Staten Island home where they believed Jason to be living. But the story of how they got there is complicated. And what happened afterward in the case of Jason Christopher Hughes is even more complicated. Also, infuriating. 
We're going to tell you that story now because it not only shows how far we've come in the battle against cyberstalking, but how far we still have to go. He does have the ability to completely ruin your entire life. Once he's made up his mind, that's it. He puts you on this list and you are to be erased. He would make me pay. He's hurt people before. I deserve to die. He's one of the most dangerous people I've ever had to investigate. Just seems like wherever I go, there he is. From Discovery Plus, ID, and Joke Productions, this is Unraveled, The Stalker's Web, a six-part podcast investigating the story of one of the most prolific monsters to ever prowl the cyber world. And we'll see how the power that such a criminal has can lay waste to reputations, careers, relationships, and even lives. I'm Alexis Linkletter. And I'm Billy Jensen. Jason Christopher Hughes spent close to 40 years flying under the radar of law enforcement. Some of this was due to weak legislation and taking advantage of law enforcement who were constrained by those laws. But Jason also cleverly concealed his identity within his online communications. So how exactly did the FBI track him down? In episode one, we told you how Austin detective Spencer Chow first alerted the FBI to Jason's actions back in 2013 after a car fire at Jason's house. Jason gave arson investigators a list of dozens of people who he claimed might do him harm. People that turned out to be the victims he was harassing. But the volume of evidence Chow brought to the FBI wasn't enough to trigger a serious investigation, at least at that point. The real trigger would happen two years later, and it would come from halfway around the world. Remember when we learned about Jason's childhood pen pal through his mother, Cynthia? Over many years, Jason sent this girl disturbing letters and even stalked her into adulthood, showing up unannounced at her college. After the pen pal got married, she and her husband moved overseas in order to distance themselves from Jason's harassment. And for nearly 20 years, it worked. But in 2015, she received some disturbing emails more than 20 of them over a four-day span. They came from someone who called himself Raymond Johnson, but she knew who they were really from because he referenced their relationship as pen pals. He noted that he hailed from Billings, Montana, and he claimed that the name Jason was a curse. The pen pal believes Jason got her email address from the website of the school where she taught. This level of stalking, after so many years of silence, shows a severe obsession that's almost as frightening as the emails themselves. They contain messages like, I'm going to come out of retirement, and I'm going to do something really terrible. Here's an excerpt from one of them. And just a reminder, these emails could be disturbing to some listeners. How perfectly goddamn delightful it would be indeed if someone stabbed your grotesque, old lady cow dugs with a screwdriver just to watch the spider venom ooze out of your nasty old bitch tits. And here's another. Things I have done, they would cool your blood beyond ice. But since you were the original person who inspired me to choose evil, evil be thou my good. And no, I will never get caught. I take care upon care upon care to bury very, very deeply. 
After the hundreds of frightening messages to the dozens of victims throughout the years, this was the one that was going to do him in. Federal law forbids a, quote, transmission of threats to injure, unquote, using a service of interstate or foreign commerce. In other words, the internet. The messages sent by Jason to his overseas victim would seem a pretty clear violation of that law. When the FBI was alerted to these emails, an agent soon connected it to a file that had already been started, thanks to Detective Spencer Chow. I got a phone call. I said, like, I would love to talk to you about this individual. What have you been doing? Um, he's just kind of come up on our radar. We don't really know much about him. So I went to the FBI office. I had been investigating him for so long, and I had been collecting a lot of information. And it, it really got their attention. I was actually really excited because I knew that a federal law enforcement agency was going to have a lot more resources than I would. I mean, their jurisdiction would be throughout the U.S. Mine was only within my city. There's something you should know about the law at this point, because it's surprising to learn. Stalking legislation had gradually expanded at the state level during the 2000s to include some cyber threats. But until 2013, Cyberstalking was not a federal crime unless the offender and victim were in different states. If you had a cyberstalker living in the same state as you, the feds couldn't do anything for you. It was left to local authorities, who often had conflicting jurisdictions or a lack of manpower, or they just didn't take it seriously. Here's cyber expert Mark Lanterman. A big problem for law enforcement when investigating cases like this is having the resources. Officers are going through two or three weeks of training, and then they're expected to track people who are very proficient using encryption, who are skilled at hiding their identities. Because of that, cases of cyber stalking may not be the first cases that they are directing limited resources toward. In Jason's case, much of the cyber stalking he did prior to the law change in 2013 could only be handled by local authorities. For instance, when he was living in Texas at the same time as Rachel and Vanessa V, the victims we spoke with in our first two episodes, the emails he sent them during that time were not punishable by federal law and we heard repeatedly how local agencies were not helpful. But there were also incidents when Jason was still in Seattle, and he was harassing Rachel while she was living in Texas. And there was another stretch where he was in Texas harassing Vanessa V while she was in Michigan. So federal jurisdiction could apply to those. But there's a catch. For that to work the FBI would have to prove that the emails not only came from Jason, but that he was physically in another state when he sent them. Now, that's not an easy task, considering how well he masked his identity and location. In order to pursue this case, the FBI reached out to many of Jason's victims. Rachel Kay, who had spent a weekend with Jason in Seattle, was on their list. The FBI showed up at my work unannounced, which was like, insanity um, and uh, talked to me about him and how they were building a case against him. And What was that like? What was that feeling like when the FBI shows up? 
It was a, almost exactly like the feeling I had when I talked to the arson investigators, where I was like, come on in. I'm happy to tell this story. Here's the documentation I have. Like, police have been very helpful, but there was just no action they could take. You know, whether the emails were coming from Hushmail or whatever, where they couldn't be traced. And so it really did feel like, like, holy shit, the FBI? Like, yeah, I'm in. But not everyone was so eager to participate. As Rachel spread the word about the investigation, she talked with someone who knew a few more of Jason's victims. I was like, hey, can you get in touch with them and tell them what's going on? And she came back and said only one person replied, replied to her and said that they wanted like nothing to do with it. The challenges would continue as the FBI learned that Jason was diligent in covering his tracks. But they also realized he was susceptible to public shaming. He didn't like being called out as the menace that he was, which a few of his victims had done online. So they tried using this fact to draw him out of hiding. They worked with Vanessa V, the woman who had declined a tryst with Jason and paid dearly for it with years of cyber abuse. And they baited a trap. They did have me build a WordPress and insert um, some proprietary code into the WordPress so that if he touched it, they could maybe get a hold of his IP address. It was kind of a honeypot, I guess. And the WordPress, you tried, you started a blog, basically. Yeah. 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 And what was the blog's name? Jason Stinks. And my husband emailed him the link, and of course, this set off a bunch of like angry threats and such, all of which I forwarded. And unfortunately, he only ever visited the web page with um, like a VPN, so it was hidden. A VPN, to remind you, is a tool for hiding the location and therefore the identity of an online user. Once again, Jason stayed just out of reach, at least for the time being. The FBI started researching the various emails and names Jason used with his victims, and soon they caught a break. One of the emails to the pen pal was connected to a website, and that site revealed the registrant's name as Michael Nath. As we learned when we talked with Jason's ex-friend and victim, Travis, Michael Nath is one of the aliases Jason was known to use. But could authorities tie that name back to Jason? They found a passport application for Michael Nath, and it listed the applicant's previous name as Louis M. Marsupial, the extinct marsupial himself. And the application for that passport listed another previous name, Hughes. All of the passport applications had a picture, and it was a picture of Jason Christopher Hughes. The feds had successfully connected the dots from the pen pal emails back to Jason. The next trick would be to physically find him. There were rumors he was somewhere in New York, but locating him in that sprawl would be a big job, if that's even where he was. They subpoenaed the domain host for Jason's website. Records listed the various IP addresses he used to access his sites. And one belonged to a home on Staten Island. When agents surveilled the house, they discovered that Jason was living next door. That next door house was his in-laws, and he was stealing Wi-Fi from the neighbor, an old compulsion that led the FBI straight to his front steps. On March 17th, 2017, 
After four decades of violent character assassinations and graphic death threats against upwards of 50 people across the country, Jason Christopher Hughes was arrested on Staten Island. For his victims, it was a long-awaited moment of relief and disbelief. Here's Rachel Kay. When he got arrested, it was just the greatest. This is really good news. Vanessa V's reaction was a little more blunt. It feels really nice to give this guy the middle finger after all of these years. Um, What'd you think? Were you satisfied? So I had a friend buy me that paper who lives in New York and mail it to me. And there's a photo on my Instagram of me holding it up and smiling because I felt victorious. The paper was the Daily News. On the cover was Jason's photo. The headline, Stalker from Hell. The opportunity for justice had finally arrived. Jason would have to stand before a judge and answer for his crimes. But the story doesn't end with Jason's arrest. What came afterward was a whole new phase of hell for all of Jason's victims. Hey, I'm Ryan Reynolds. Recently, I asked Mint Mobile's legal team if big wireless companies are allowed to raise prices due to inflation. They said yes. And then when I asked if raising prices technically violates those onerous two-year contracts, they said, what the f*** are you talking about, you insane Hollywood ass. So to recap, we're cutting the price of Mint Unlimited from $30 a month to just $15 a month. Give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows full terms at mintmobile.com. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. One size fits all seemed like a good idea for clothes. Nice dress. Uh it's a it's a t-shirt. Until you tried it on. Same goes for your healthcare. That's why United Healthcare offers a variety of flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. So whether you're between jobs, coming off a parent's plan, or even missed open enrollment, you can find the plan that fits you best. Find out more about United Healthcare coverage at uh1.com. That's uh1.com. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else, even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com slash achieve today. Jason's arrest in 2017 triggered a wave of hope among his victims. Hope that they would finally be free from his campaign of terror. Here's his former friend, Travis. A lot of his victims um, don't want him to get out. They know I don't want him to ever come back. 
Prosecutors with the U.S. Attorney's Office went over the evidence, deciding what charges to bring against Jason. Under the federal statute, each electronic threat carries a possible sentence of up to five years. Considering the dozens of victims over multiple decades that Jason targeted, there was hope for a massive list of charges. On March 30th, 2017, 13 days after Jason was arrested, he was formally indicted. The list of offenses started with five counts related to five of the emails he sent to the pen pal. There was only one other charge listed. It was for an email he sent to one of his stateside victims, who chose to remain anonymous. It was a copy of How to Make Your Own Pet Owl. The pet owl email was a gruesome how-to guide for mutilating a human into the shape of an owl. But here's the thing. Jason had sent that email to numerous targets over the years. So why wasn't he being charged for all of them? Were some of them outside of federal jurisdiction? Were some of them too well cloaked behind anonymizing web services? And what about all the other threats to all his other victims? Could the feds not touch any of that? We really want to know if prosecutors didn't bring more charges because they had no legal standing to do so, or if they simply chose not to for some other reason. But the strange thing is, we can't get that answer right now. The Department of Justice isn't free to comment just yet. Because as of the date of this podcast episode, the case still hasn't been adjudicated. And that's because... Jason has been avoiding a final judgment by running a virtual masterclass in legal bobbing and weaving. After his arrest, Jason pled not guilty to all charges. He was placed under house arrest at his in-laws' home on Staten Island. And his defense attorneys began a long negotiation process with prosecutors. They requested multiple extensions in order to examine the quote-unquote voluminous discovery against him. They would stretch this out for nine months, until finally in December of 2017, Jason accepted a deal. He would plead guilty, but only to two charges, one against the pen pal, and the other for the owl email. It was a pittance for the decades of harassment he put so many people through, but the prosecution agreed to the deal. We need to tell you something now that may sound like some useless legal tidbit, but it's going to be important in a moment. The judge assigned to Jason's case was unavailable for the hearing. So another judge presided in order to get the plea into the record. Jason would have to schedule a follow-up appearance for his judge to accept the plea and calculate his sentence. So here is where the process gets outrageous. After Jason's sentencing date was scheduled for May of 2018, his lawyer began requesting delays, first until June, then September, then November, then February of the following year. They received a total of eight extensions that pushed sentencing until July of 2019, nearly two years after he first pled guilty. And remember, he's not in jail. He's at home under house arrest. Finally, when he could delay no more and his sentencing was imminent, Jason pulled his most aggravating legal maneuver yet he filed a motion to withdraw his guilty plea. Remember when we said that a different judge took Jason's plea? Well, because the presiding judge hadn't formally accepted the plea yet, Jason was able to take it back. And the process had to start all over again. 
throughout this time, his victims were watching in disbelief. Here's Rachel Kay. He was trolling the justice system. We'd get together for like, oh, today's the day for a sentencing, and then it would get pushed. I think that was another stalling technique. It's almost like everyone's waiting for the other shoe to drop. You know, we've all just been like holding our breaths, waiting for him to show up again. There may be a method to Jason's madness, and Travis thinks he knows what it is. What he's doing at court, you know, changing his plea and all this stuff, he's going for time served. He's done it all under house arrest. Time served would be a literal get out of jail free card, limiting his punishment to the house arrest he's already served. The terms of Jason's house arrest are pretty lenient. He's actually only confined during the curfew hours of 7 p.m. to 7 a.m. He was given an ankle monitor and was forbidden from using the internet for anything besides work. Those restrictions certainly beat a jail cell any day. Jason was getting increasingly less likely to see a single day behind bars with each legal maneuver, especially his next one. After Jason withdrew his guilty plea, his counsel petitioned to get his charges dropped. They argued that the emails weren't true threats and were protected speech. And here's the kicker. When it came to the owl poem, the judge actually agreed. If you remember, the quote-unquote owl email started this way. Take one human, smash the arms, legs, knees with a sledgehammer. Bend the twisted limbs around a perch in a large iron cage. It goes on from there. A play-by-play to inflict acts of horrific torture. But it doesn't say, I'm going to do this to you. And for the judge, that was enough. In her ruling, the judge wrote that while this email is disturbing, it, quote, does not amount to a serious expression of an intent to commit an act of unlawful violence to a particular individual, end quote. And this is often what Jason would do. He would send pictures of charred babies. He would tell one victim he knew where he walked each day, and one day someone would throw acid on his face. Or to the pen pal, when he said how delightful it would be if someone stabbed her with a screwdriver. He wasn't saying he was going to do these things. Just someone. This shocking turn of events made Jason's victims fear that he might get off completely. Could a jury decide the same thing as the judge? That these emails were just angry noise and not real threats? Could he actually be found not guilty, get released, and escape unscathed without a criminal record? Jason's attorney re-entered negotiations with prosecutors and eventually came to a new agreement. Jason Christopher Hughes, one of the most prolific cyberstalkers of all time, who targeted dozens of victims for decades, would plead guilty to one single count of transmission of threat to injure. The plea hearing was set for October 7th of 2020. And because of pandemic restrictions, it was held virtually, which meant we could listen in. While no recordings were allowed, we can tell you what we heard. Jason, still going by the name Raymond Johnson, appeared before the correct judge this time. He told the judge he sent the threatening email because he was suffering from severe depression and even PTSD from the car arson that happened two years earlier. The judge pressed him on whether he knew what he was doing at the time, and he reluctantly admitted that he did. 
And when it came time to give his plea, he said guilty, and the judge accepted it. There's no going back this time. All that's left is sentencing. But that phase is actually the most frightening one of all, because every possible outcome has terrifying implications. Although the charge carries a maximum prison sentence of five years, the guideline range for his particular case was a suggested 10 to 15 months. Keep in mind, Jason has now been under house arrest for more than four years. I am concerned that they're going to say time served, and I am concerned that that was why they kept messing with the legal system and pushing the sentencing and pushing the hearings. If Jason gets time served and doesn't go to jail at all, there's still a chance he could be under supervision for up to three years. But then again, he might not get any supervision. He was recently freed from his ankle monitor back in July of 2020. Could the judge decide that he's been confined and monitored long enough? Could Jason instantly become a free man the next time he stands in court? This prospect, understandably, has his victims worried. But what's troubling is Jason's psychological grip on them is so strong, many are also scared of what will happen if he does go to prison under our current system. Here's what several of them had to say. I don't think the system can adequately, like, punish or rehabilitate someone like this. I actually would be way more afraid of Jason that's been in jail. Because if he does get raped, if he does get stabbed, if he does get hurt, how much worse is that going to make him? I think it will push him over the edge. I think if he's actually in a federal prison, he, he will not be able to handle it. He's so unpleasant to be around that I don't know that his fellow inmates are going to take very kindly to his personality quirks. On the one hand, it's pretty normal to want to see punishment for someone who has hurt you and hurt people that you care about. With that being said, my number one priority is that he gets the kind of help that he needs. Because he's obviously very unwell. Putting him in prison, they're just going to multiply and compound what's already going on with him. I think that prison is going to create a, 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 a serial killer. The last voice you heard was Cynthia, Jason's mom, who's very worried about her son's future. Is it possible that Jason could become even worse? That he could turn into an even more vengeful personality than he's been? We sat down with Rachel and Vanessa V to get their take on this possibility. And their concerns were very real. There's, there's fear of retaliation. Yeah, there's that. I, I know that, like, I know that there will be this human being that, with every fiber of his being, wishes he could destroy me from here on out. We don't know when Jason will be free, whether that's in a few weeks or a few years. But we wanted to know his future intentions. Will he be out for vengeance like his victims fear? The only way to find this out is to talk to Jason ourselves. Hi, how you doing? We're looking for Jason Christopher Hughes.
For Jason's victims, the satisfaction of his arrest and the respite it has provided has always been overshadowed by the sense that it can't last, that their nightmare will soon return with a vengeful Jason who's learned how to avoid getting caught again. My greatest fear at this point is that I'll lose my life again. I'll have to hide. Because it's, it's really... He forced me into hiding. He forced us all into hiding. He made it to where we all had to like guard and protect and paranoidly worry about ourselves. Since we started this investigation, we've been trying to get in touch with Jason, repeatedly leaving voicemails at his house. So far, it hasn't worked. So we did the only thing left to do. You got it? Yeah, so keep going straight. Okay. And then we'll make an eventual left on Wester Belt Avenue. We traveled from Los Angeles to New York to confront Jason Christopher Hughes. The house where Jason lives is a three-level colonial in a pleasant Staten Island neighborhood. Not the worst place to be under house arrest. It's a beautiful tree-lined street. The sun is out. And in this bluish-gray house is a stalker from hell. After all of the horrific stories we've heard about this man, it was finally time to face him and see what he had to say for himself. What's that? Someone just came to the window. Really? Yeah. And yet they're not coming to the door. It took a moment, but then someone peeked from behind the curtain. Here you go. Hi. Hi, how you doing? We're looking for Jason Christopher Hughes. Uh, my name is Billy Jensen. This is Alexis Linkletter. We're working on a documentary um, and we're following up on his uh, plea and his sentencing. And we'd like to talk to him about um, some of the crimes that he committed. And we really just want to know why. Okay. They want to do the documentary. No, I don't think he'd be interested. You don't think he'd be interested? No, he's a very private He's a very private person. Do you think, do you think, well, we want it, we want him to be able to explain why he terrorized these women for so long. And is he going to do it again? And that was the moment we got shut down. The face behind the curtain disappeared and we heard nothing more. Well, that's where he is. That's where he is. The gall of them to say he's a very, very private, private person. person when he's been harassing people. And then if anyone, like what we're trying to do on behalf of the victims, come to disturb him at all, he's a very private person. Yeah. As of now, Jason's victims remain caught between the disturbed human being and a justice system that can't figure out how to handle him. Vanessa V, Rachel, and all the others are left to wonder how this may have gone differently if there were laws 20 years ago that could have shut him down. And that brings us to today, because now there are such laws, they just need to be properly enforced. The federal cyberstalking statute, as amended in 2013, is robust. 
it applies to anyone who uses, quote, any interactive computer service or electronic communication service, unquote. And it forbids anything that would, quote, cause, attempt to cause, or would be reasonably expected to cause substantial emotional distress to a person, unquote. So what's truly going on here in Jason's case? All right, Billy, so there's a couple of things to consider with cyberstalking laws in general. So the first is the difference between state and federal laws. So what Detective Chow told Rachel is that Texas had some newer state laws on cyberstalking, but they hadn't been tested yet. And there was this hesitancy to do so. Right, because if you're a prosecutor, no one wants to be the first one to bungle a case, which then will establish a precedent for how the law should be interpreted moving forward. So it's going to take the right person, like a brave person, to fight the fight and win that case on behalf of the victims. Right. So while we're on the subject, there's a new federal law from 2013, which seems pretty sweeping. It says any electronic service or electronic communication service, that's email, that's text, that's social media. Yeah. And it isn't just about death threats. If you even attempt to cause substantial emotional distress, this statute could apply. Yeah. But here's what's weird about Jason's case. It seems like the owl poem should basically qualify under the statute. That's definitely an intimidating message meant to cause substantial emotional distress. It is, but it appears that for whatever reason, Jason was actually charged under a different section of the stalking law, which states that any threat to injure the person of another shall be fined under this title or imprisoned not more than five years or both. Uh, Okay, so that's why the judge dismissed it, based on it not seeming like a legitimate threat. But why was that section of the law used against Jason instead of the more broad one? I I don't know. I mean, it's just one more question hanging over this case that doesn't seem to make much sense. We've reached out to Jason's attorneys in this case for comment, but so far we haven't received any replies. We may not know Jason's fate yet, but we do know what you can do in your defense if you're ever targeted by a cyberstalker. First, learn the laws in your state, as well as the federal statutes. Know what counts as a violation so that you can identify it when you see it. Second, as tempting as it may be to trash threatening emails and creepy texts, don't. You want a record to prove your claim. Here's cyber expert Mark Lanterman. Document everything. Take screenshots. If you can, capture header information from offensive emails. Put together as much evidence as you can for law enforcement to work your case. Third, find an advocate in law enforcement. If the first officer you talk to won't take you seriously, talk to another, and then another, and then another. Keep going until you find someone who does. It took years before Vanessa V. and Rachel found Stephen Chow, but he helped change the course of this investigation in their favor. And lastly, For anyone who's feeling shame or embarrassment that something like this is happening to you, anyone who's feeling responsible for bringing this pain on themselves, we want to leave you with some words from Vanessa V. And we hope you'll remember them well. I'd like to say anybody that's in my position where somebody like this finds you, it was never your fault that this happened to you. You had a wacky person glom onto you. If there was a spray to prevent that, we'd all be wearing it. I know this isn't the only Jason on the planet Earth. Like, there's there's another Jason out there. Yeah, that's probably not his name or her name. 
There's people that do this to people they've been in relationships with or strangers on the internet, and he's not going to be the last one either. Anyone that hears or sees this, you're not alone. Next week, we'll bring you a bonus episode of Unraveled, The Stalker's Web. Our research into the world of cyberstalking uncovered some other staggering crimes. We want to share with you the highlights of what we learned. He looked me directly in the eyes and he said, I'm going to stalk you. The bomb threats continued. One point it was 24 in one day. These young ladies were frightened to even go outside. I came out of the library and saw Danny just standing there like he had been waiting for me. What will be the next escalation? Are we looking at a possible abduction that's going to come into play? One young lady did have suicidal thoughts. His fantasy was to kill me and then coming in and raping my dead corpse. Unraveled is produced by Joke Productions for ID. The executive producers of this podcast are Joke Finsoon, Biagio Messina, and Jeff Kuntz, along with myself, Billy Jensen, and Alexis Linkletter. The executive producer for ID is Tim Bainey. Additional producing and writing is by Eric Smith. Our editor is Aaron Frischia. The music and score that you have heard in this podcast is by Biagio Messina, Dave Pellman, and the Alibi and Nimble Libraries. If you or someone you know has a story to share about Jason Christopher Hughes, you can email us confidentially at unraveltips at gmail.com. You can also visit survivingjason.com for more information and helpful resources on cyberstalking. Make sure to check for episode seven next week, wherever you get your podcasts. It helps a lot when you subscribe, rate, review the podcast that you enjoy. Thank you for listening and for your support. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. It's the Kia Summer Sticker Sales Event, so give your friends something to look at, like a BB with an ocean view, an endless field of wildflowers or a sunset that needs no filter. Make this a summer to share and save with a capable Kia SUV or powerful sedan. See your local Kia dealer or visit kia.com to learn more. Kia, movement that inspires. Call 800-334-KIA for details. Always dive safely. Sale applies to purchase of specially tagged 2024 vehicles only. Quantities are limited. Must take delivery by 7824.